the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. And so delighted to be able to analyze the latest writings from American greatness by none other than Professor Victor Davis Hansen, senior fellow with the Hoover Institution at Stanford University and author of the fabulous book, The Case for Trump. Follow him right now, V.D. Hansen. Professor Hansen, welcome back to America First. Your latest piece is entitled, Will 2021 Be 1984? You discuss the, the seeming cultural revolution occurring in America in the last few months. You, you put it in the context of Jacobin, Bolshevik, and, and Maoist cultural revolution, but you make the stunning observation that the person who is at the forefront of it, the, the putative nominal candidate for president on the Democratic side, seems to be unaware that there is a cultural revolution occurring. Please expand on, on your analysis. Well, Joe Biden is not running a traditional campaign, so... He's been in his basement, and he will stay in his basement until Trump gets back up to 45 in the real clear politics, because it's a rope-a-dope strategy, and he's a vessel, an empty vessel, for a socialist agenda. The vice presidential nomination is the first time since Henry Wallace in 44. It's a, really a, a presidential, it's seen by the Democrats as a presidential nomination. And while people will be very protective of Joe Biden during the campaign and keep him out of sight and out of mind, should he be elected, then they will start a gossip campaign to remove him and have a real progressive vice president. And this was all this was all predicated on the virus, the lockdown, the George Floyd protests, the looting, the cultural revolution that has made everybody anxious and has allowed Joe Biden to stay in his basement in a way that we've never seen in our lifetime a candidate do that. And so we can't say well, Joe Biden was not physically or mentally up to the rigors of a campaign because he, he can answer back, no, it's just because of the virus, the lockdown, the apprehension. So add all of these very strange uh, black swan events up, and we're in new territory. Yeah, Nick, Nick Taleb, the, the author of the very influential book, Black Swan. And then, and then you, you paint this picture that, that should Joe Biden win the election, almost instantaneously there will be a whisper campaign. There will be rumors from well-placed sources in the White House or the DNC in a very sympathetic mode saying he made the great sacrifice, but now he's not in a position to actually execute the functions of president. And then... That will herald the entry of an America that could not have otherwise been uh, realized in a, a normal election year. And you even use the word apartheid for that future America. Explain why you use such powerful language, Professor Hansen. 
Well, I think now the left has given up on the dream of Martin Luther King that to judge people or assess them by the content of their character, not by the color of their skin. And I say that because just in the recent last 10 days, we've had to have uh, Kareem Al-Jabbar uh, and Charles Barkley come out and lecture black musicians, athletes, to stop, stop this rampant, unapologetic anti-Semitism. We've seen places in the federal government, uh, the Pentagon, Seattle, where there is, I guess you would call it white re-education, where people are selected on the basis of their skin color to go through particularly mandatory indoctrinations. We've had a county in Oregon that tried to demand masks for everybody on the basis of skin color, blacks being exempted. And then the uh, Nicole Anna Jones, one of the architects of the 1619 Project, out of her past comes some pretty racist statements that she said. She's unapologetic about it. What I'm getting at is that the Black Lives Matter now has dropped all pretenses that it's going to work within the traditional contours of American culture and history, and that is by assimilation, integration, intermarriage. It sees itself as a black separatist movement that has moral claims on the country and in reparatory fashion wants things from the majority and then intends to continue to define its privilege on the basis of race. And to that end, how significant was it, Professor, that in the Wallace interview this weekend, the president actually mentioned the damaging effect of uh, uh, artifacts and, and projects like the 1619 Project? That's, that's an unusual thing for a president to discuss, is it not? It is, but then it's unusual for people in the 244th year of the republic to rename its foundation. That's something we saw in the French Revolution or the Maoist Revolution, or to rename places and streets or whole towns or destroy uh, statuary, some of which w w would be considered liberal. This revolution is also very strange. It's not like the 60s because... The aging 60 liberal in the position of power has been forced to join the revolution. In other words, in the old days, they were opposed to the police tried to keep order. The army, the military was there if you needed them. The establishment said we're not going to give in to the, this radical movement. Now, whether you're a blue state mayor, police chief, governor, or whether you're in the retired or active military, or you're in the corporate world, there's a sense that this movement cannot be stopped and you better join it before it takes you down too. And so there's no constituency formal other than the president who's actively opposing it. Writers will sign petitions and fired professors and authors will pr protest, but there's nobody galvanized. There's, I don't see the House members. I don't see the Senate members. I don't see conservative intellectuals. I don't see people. I've never seen anything like it. They feel it's almost inevitable. Maybe it's the August dog days of summer. Maybe it's the fear of the contagion and the lockdown, but something has to radically change very quickly or this revolution will succeed.
He's the author of The Case for Trump on Twitter. You can follow him at VD Hansen. And in your piece for American Greatness, you state that unlike prior 20th century left-wing revolutions, it's not the rich, it's not the plutocrats, it's not the Silicon Valley billionaires that will be the enemy, that they will be safe. You say it will be the... The, the upper middle class, the small business owner, how have the plutocrats, how have the, the billionaires secured their safety from the new Jacobins? Well, they've told them that you can't win unless we reorder the search logarithms on Google or that we censor people on YouTube or we adjudicate advertising on Facebook on the basis of politics, or the New York Times and the uh, Washington Post will be blatantly and overtly prejudicial, and money will be given in huge amounts by our foundations. And so they've, they've pledged that. And notice that the revolution has responded in kind. They're not attacking the Roosevelt Monument in Washington. They're not uh, after left-wing symbols. Nobody's saying Margaret Sanger, the eugenicist that really unleashed a genocidal culture of abortion on the black community should be deplatformed, her memory or her statue should be torn down. So they have got, I guess we would call it medieval exemption by paying over to the revolution. Sort of like some of the Bolsheviks in Russia got Russian aristocrats thought that they might be spared, so they they gave money to Lenin. And and in this case, the real enemy will be the people who generate most wealth in the United States, and that's the the sixty percent in the middle. Is that correct? Yeah, they're the they're the to keep the metaphor alive. They're the kulaks. The kulaks. Those middle class, upper upper middle class, the people that sell insurance successful salesmen, business owners, uh, professionals. Uh, These are the people who want to be millionaires if they're not millionaires already, but they hire a lot of people. They don't don't have the aristocratic taste and culture of the very wealthy, and yet they're not romantic like the poor. So the, the left despises them. The plutocratic left despises them as wannabes. And uh, they're the people who, they're the 10 or 12 million people who left California once it targeted them, uh, their tax brackets, and uh, became a, a state of very wealthy people and very poor people. In the last 30 seconds we have with you in this segment, Professor Hansen, does that layer, does that stratum know that there is a cultural war in effect nationally? I think they do. They may think that it's regional that the deplorables and the irredeemables are people in the red interior. But I have a feeling that if you're a restaurant owner in San Francisco or you're a barber on the Upper West Side, you better very quickly realize that the tax policy and the policing policy are aimed at you. You have nothing for the revolution except that you're a bourgeoisie successful person who you didn't build, remember the rhetoric? That- oh, yes, you, you didn't build that. And now we will ask in the next segment, Lenin's question, what is to be done? Back with Professor Hansen. The latest article, Professor, you have at amgreatnessamericangreatness.com is will 2021 be 1984? You describe the, the cultural revolution that thanks to things like the Chinese virus, 
would otherwise be impossible in America, but which is driving uh, this year's election. Let, let me ask the, the classic uh, communist question from the point of view of those who wish to defeat the Cultural Revolution. What is to be done? Is this merely a, a threat to the representative uh, Republican democracy we have that rests on the shoulders of President Trump and, and that handful, that coterie of Republicans who wants to fight? Or is there a role for, for the average American to, to prevent this cultural revolution on our shores? Well, they have to, they have to get out and they have to vote and they have to vote for someone that's not perfect, but is better than the alternative. That's their attitude. It's too late to say, well, Trump tweets, or that's irrelevant now. We're not about Trump and Biden. We're about civilization and anarchy. Because remember, if the Democrats win, the progressives will take over, and they can enact constitutional change. There's nothing in the Constitution that says they cannot enlarge the Supreme Court on January 31st of 2021. They'll try that. They'll get rid of the filibuster if they win the Senate. They'll enlarge the Supreme Court. The next thing they'll do is they'll nullify or neuter the Electoral College. You can do that by this compact, by getting the majority of the states to pledge their delegates to the uh, national uh, vote count. They're almost there now. They can render the elect. They can go after uh, senators being popularly elected rather than two per state. They have a whole list, a whole agenda that will really change this country from a constitutional republic into something like Venezuela. And wealth tax, uh, high income tax, high gas tax, fracking, they have a whole agenda, and it will radically transform the United States. It'll make us materially poorer, less free. Remember one thing also, Sebastian, the one amendment that the founders thought was the key to all 10 was the Second Amendment. Yes. They argued about the need for a Bill of Rights because they said if people are armed and they're autonomous and the government can't take away anything from them, the first thing they will go after is the Second Amendment. And they can do that legislatively if they have a sympathetic court. And I think they do. They will have one. On that topic of, of the Second Amendment, which uh, vouchsafes all the other, uh, are, are you um, fearful of a, a, a civil war because of the things that the radical left has, has managed to achieve already and may achieve if they win the election? I'm worried because the 60s was not, did not have a geographical dimension. The 1860s did. We have a because of globalization over the last 50 years, we have created a coastal culture from Seattle to La Jolla and from Boston to Washington, D.C. or below, maybe all the way to Miami. And that culture is markedly different from the interior. And the, the two areas are about half the same size and population. And when you see people, within, and then around the Great Lakes as well, when you see people in these states that allow that drop charges against criminal behavior or they, they promote, I'm talking about local and state officials, they promote the destruction of uh, iconic statues. It's a, it's a different culture and they do not like any resistance toward it on the interior. So what, what we have now is sort of a monastery of the mind. By that I mean a lot of people just say to themselves, I'm not going to watch the NBA. I'm not going to watch the NFL anymore. I'm not going to watch a Hollywood movie anymore. I don't. I flip off NPR. No more PBS stuff. 
I just am tired of it all. And they've gone into their cocoons. And the $64,000 question is, how many are there and to what degree are they going to rise up on election day? Polls tell us that they're spent, they're tired, they just, they're in a fetal position, they don't, they would just want to make it all go away. Maybe if they don't vote Trump or don't vote at all, then Biden will be able to just say, you know, take it and there will be calm. I don't believe that's true, but it's something that has to be manifested by Labor Day. People by Labor Day have to get out, give money to candidates, be, be vocal and get the polls up for Donald Trump because these polls are being, I think, manipulated. Uh, they are down for Trump, but they're used to raise money. So they go to corporate and wealthy people and say, I know you have no ideology and you always give money to the winner, but now the polls say Trump is losing, so you better get on the bat. And his fundraising has increased for that reason. And that was the intent, I think, indeed, of some of the polls in and, and do we just, Professor, write off the institutional GOP and not expect anything substantial to come from them in the next three months before the election? I hope not, because where I live in California, there's even though there's only seven of 53 congressional states that are now Republican, they were wiped out in uh, 2018, there are a lot of very close races, and there's a lot of wonderful young candidates, and they're running in the polls neck and neck. And that is critical. If California could get back seven or eight or nine seats, that would be a, a that would almost help ensure they wouldn't lose. They would regain the House. That's still possible. It's still possible to save the Senate. So they can't give up. But the people in the Senate and the House have to understand the moderate Republicans that if they lose. It won't matter that they're still in the center of their house. They will have no power. They will be neutered. They will be humiliated. Their only chance, whether whatever their personal views, is to align themselves with Trump and to galvanize the base and appeal to the swing voter. And Trump's got to get out on television, address the nation, and say, "This is we've done. We haven't done bad on the virus. We're doing better than every major European country." That's just a lie. The second deaths per million are much lower than most of the major European countries. The lockdown, the economy is recovering. He's got to project that confidence and set the record straight to the nation because the media has, has waged a relentless propaganda campaign that's been pretty successful. We only have a few seconds left, Professor. Several of our listeners and viewers have suggested the president needs to do a weekly fireside chat like some of his predecessors. What do you think of the idea of a weekly televised chat from the president on these issues? A wonderful idea. I think that he could do it by radio or television or podcast or all three combined. It'd be wonderful. No reporters just talking and reassuring the people that the real truth is we've done okay on the virus. The second wave is not fatal. The lockdown uh, is ending. Schools will start. The economy is coming back. And uh, Biden is not the person to lead the country. He's a vessel for hardcore leftist interests. I think it would be valuable. I wish he would do it tomorrow. Well, when I was in the Oval with him a few days ago, he promised to come on this show imminently. So perhaps that's how it could start here on America First. As ever, thank you, Professor. Follow him, V.D. Hansen, on Twitter and get his book, The Case for Trump, right now. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. 
It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today.